Let's Go has become so much more than just a title or a name for our capital campaign. It's a very reflection of the heartbeat of our congregation. Uh, a number of years ago, we sat down and through a variety of focus groups, we began just asking, how do we believe we are supposed to live? And the, the phrase, the vision statement that you hear on a regular basis, we are our intention, our desire, our drive, our, our vision is to invite others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. One conversation at a time became the articulation of our heart that everywhere we go, we have the opportunity, we have the moment, we have the, 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 the drive, the desire to let other people know that we've discovered and it's available for them to discover that there is life change possible, that you can get over those things of the past, the things that have crippled and hurt and disabled us spiritually. You can get over that and find forgiveness in Jesus, find life change in Jesus the same way we did. And our desire is to just simply share that because our lives have been so significantly touched by the presence of God. We want everyone to know that. And so it seemed like a natural thing out of the whole concept of going um, and sharing and inviting to move into a capital campaign that transitions and relocates our property, gives us a new sphere of influence, gives new ingress and egress, new security, lots of new options for the future of the church in terms of a geographic location. But so much more than that, it became let's go into the future, into the things that are ahead, into the things that we have to look forward to. And that process out of our values of go deeper, live intentionally, reach further, that process has guided us and continues to guide us. But it is our heartbeat. Um, the capital campaign is extremely important. Every single thing we do beyond the goal of 2.25 million not only allows us to build the new property, build the new facilities, but it allows us to go beyond that. Even everything we do beyond that 2.25 allows us to do so and minimize the amount of debt and the amount of burden we have to carry for a period of time. Um, we've done it before. We'll do it again. Uh, we can accomplish that through God's power, but everything we do beyond that allows that. But it's even more, so much more important than that. It has created opportunities in the community. It's created opportunities with our neighbors, with our friends, with our colleagues, with our business associates, with schoolmates. We've had the opportunity to talk about how God is moving and God is working. Let's go is not just a capital campaign. Let's go is not just a new facility. Let's go is not just a season. It is in every way a heartbeat of who we are. And one of the clearest examples of scripture, you might say to some degree, the poster boy of let's go, the poster boy of inviting others into a life-changing relationship is actually not a pastor. It's not an apostle. It's no one that holds an official position in the hierarchy of authority, but it was a servant who in Acts chapter six was called out of the crowd to help navigate and deal with the necessity of feeding all the widows who didn't have the resources. And he stepped up and said, I'll do that. I'll be a servant. I'll do that. In Acts chapter eight, we find this deacon. He's a deacon now. We find him serving and inviting others into a life-changing relationship everywhere he goes. And so he's in Jerusalem where he becomes a deacon. 
He leaves out of Jerusalem and moves into the region of Samaria, north of Jerusalem. So if you have a map in mind or you want to look at the back of your Bibles or pull it up real quick, you can see the map. You can probably find a map of Philip's journey specifically. Leaves Jerusalem, goes north into Samaria. While in Samaria, great things happen. Lots of people become believers in Jesus. Lots of people have life change take place. And God suddenly says, look, I need you to go to a different location, and so he changes and relocates, this time south of Jerusalem, to a place that basically doesn't even show up on the map. It's it's referred to as the Desert Road because it's so uninhabited, so out of the middle of nowhere, but yet Philip goes, and Philip will have an encounter there with a man from Ethiopia who has been in Jerusalem worshiping, and ironically, doesn't get the privilege of worshiping because he is a eunuch serving in the the, the hierarchy and authorities in Ethiopia, um, in Nubia, and he doesn't and he's disqualified because he's a eunuch. Um, I'm not going to go into details. So y'all can look it up, but um, he's disqualified. Deuteronomy chapter 23 disqualifies any man who has received the process necessary to be a eunuch, um, you're not allowed to worship. You're not allowed to enter the temple. You're not allowed to go to church, to Jerusalem anyway, to worship. His desire to know the Hebrew God is so significant that, um, that he goes anyway in spite. And yet Philip now relocates from Samaria down to the midst of this desert road for finding this one guy just having a conversation with this one guy and leading him to know that Jesus is the one who changed his lives and having the opportunity to baptize him as well. And then again, boom, immediately, Philip relocates to the coast and he's over in the region of Ashdod. And from Ashdod, he moves back up north into the region of Caesarea. Philip's all over the place. Philip's doing one thing everywhere he goes. He's inviting others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus one conversation at a time. He's our poster boy, so to speak, to use that phrase to describe him. And his story is told in Acts chapter 8. And so I'm going to give you a second to go to Acts chapter 8. You'll want to follow along. It's a long story. I am not going to read it in its entirety. You've got a bit of a summary. We're going to look at some of the details involved and some of the principles involved. Um, so let's go to Acts chapter 8. While you're going to Acts chapter 8, whether you're going in your Bible or on the YouVersion Bible app and following the notes that are there, the scripture's already been included for you in the YouVersion notes, and so you're welcome to go there as well and follow along. But while you do that, let me take a moment on this last Sunday in October to thank you as a congregation a uh, number of decades ago, actually, Dr. James Dobson and Focus on the Family Ministries created a Sunday that was supposed to be Pastor Appreciation Sunday. It never really worked. Um, the problem is the people that were going to be appreciated are the ones who are in charge of the scheduling, and it's just really awkward to schedule your own appreciation party. Um, some could do it, but um, it's, it's, at least I'll say for me personally, it's always been a little bit awkward. Um, so I don't know, about a decade or so ago, they changed it up, focus on the family, changed the emphasis and another of other ministries, including all of our local radio stations here in the Houston market, um, picked it up and all of October becomes Pastor Appreciation Month. And I just, I want to thank you all. Um, it's been, it's been wonderful. I don't know that there was a single day 
in the month of October, including this morning, that I didn't come to the office and have a card or a note um, and gifts. I was, you know, I was be carnal enough to say I like gifts, and so um, that's very much appreciated. Carrie and I have date nights scheduled for like the whole month of November. Um, Somebody got the impression and got the word that I like food. And so there's been a number of gift cards at restaurants and stuff. And I know it's not just me. Um, all the other pastors, Steve, Josh, Cody, Christy, everybody on our ministerial staff has been recipients of this. And I just, I don't want to take a moment to say thank you. It, it is, it is appreciated. We are grateful. Um, if you gave a gift, I tried to respond individually. If I've left somebody out, I apologize for that. But, but I want you to know as a congregation, it's, it's a wonderful experience to know how loved you are and know how, know how cared you are, you know, you, you, we are. Um, many of the thank you cards say that of us. Um, but it's easy. It's, it's easy to love you as a congregation because you love us and you appreciate us and we're, we're grateful for that. And it just makes it a fun, um, wonderful family to be a part of. And that's what we are. We're, we're a family and God's doing amazing things. And so let's go. As I said, it becomes so much more than just what this campaign is. This campaign is a stepping stone to a new future, to a new era in the life of our church and things that are happening and things that are taking place. And the heartbeat, as we've said repeatedly in this series, um, it may have su- surprised you at times, but we've talked over and over again how the ministry changes and morphs because of a new time and a new generation and new things that need to be done to help people understand the life change that's available in Jesus, but that the heartbeat of it never changes. And the heartbeat of our vision doesn't change. Everything that you've seen in renderings and we've talked about and that you'll still see as we continue to go forward is designed to make those conversations easier and to make the relationships easier and to make the going in relationships easier. I, I love Philip because he's on the go. We don't have a whole lot of background information on him, and, and this is the most comprehensive story in Acts chapter 8. He's mentioned in chapter 6. He'll get mentioned again later in the book of Acts. We don't really know much of anything other than he's a faithful deacon, um, he was a man, according to Acts chapter 6, filled with the Holy Spirit, trusted by the apostles and trusted by the congregation. But everywhere he goes, he has a conversation with somebody, inviting them into a life-changing relationship. He lives a lifestyle of inviting others and going. In, in the very first part of Acts chapter 8, if you look at verses 5 through 8, you have a description of the ministry in Samaria. And it simply says that he's in Samaria. We know a few weeks earlier when it's Acts chapter 6, we know that he was in Jerusalem, but now he's in Samaria. No explanation as to necessarily why, if he traveled there on business or did he travel there to see family. But while he's there, he proclaimed the Messiah to them. That's inviting them into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. He let them know who Jesus was, what Jesus did, how Jesus is still alive, and how Jesus can touch and change our lives now, today. 
He did the same thing we do when we go to work tomorrow. He did the same thing we do when we go home and talk to our families. He did the same things we do when we go to school tomorrow at whatever level you're going to school. He, he, he lived his life testifying, talking, witnessing about who Jesus was. And the crowds responded to it and they're paying attention, it describes them. And as they're listening to him and as they're seeing the miraculous things, the supernatural things that are taking place, and in this case, pretty radical stuff. Unclean spirits in verse seven, crying out with a loud voice, leaving those who are possessed, many who are paralyzed, many who are lamed, being healed. And here's verse eight, and this is the most important part. So there was great joy in that city. There is joy in going. There, uh, when we invite others into a life-changing relationship, it creates joy in our lives and it creates joy in other people's lives. It changes everything. It changes the dynamics of families. We, we know that. Because we've experienced that. We know what our circumstances would be like, what our families would be like, what our business would be like if we hadn't become followers of Christ. It creates joy, and that joy is contagious. That joy is almost infectious in the sense that it begins to spread everywhere. And that's part of our dream. That's part of our prayer, is imagine even more than it is today, even more than it has developed over the last 20 to 30 years, Tomball being a place of joy. <clears throat> a place of joy, not just because we got great restaurants and we got great shops and boutiques and, and things to look at and we have fun festivities and activities every month. Not because we have excellent parks and because we have great schools and our schools are rated really well, but great joy because people meet and experience life change by meeting Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. We have the opportunity to experience that. We have the opportunity to see families change, marriages restored, lives given purpose. And I'm going to step over here for a second because I'm going to keep coughing. She's on live stream right now, so... Let me just go ahead and take a moment and thank Karis. Met Karis this summer at Vacation Bible School. She took on as her responsibility bringing me water every morning. One Sunday I asked her, I said, hey, can you go back to the cafe and get me a water? She brought it every Sunday since. <clears throat> she waits outside the office door. I need to give her the office code so she can actually get in the office. She waits outside the office door, has my water waiting for me and I appreciate it. And today, I'm going to need it earlier than I normally do. Um, but I appreciate Karis for doing that. Uh, she had to go home, so she's on live stream right now. So, hey, Karis. There was a cool story about Karis last week. I don't know that Karis knows that her mother told me this. Uh, her mother was walking through the house, and um, she said that she heard my voice coming from her daughter's bedroom. I know, that, that's just awkward every way you say it. And that's what her mom thought. Said, Why is Pastor James talking in my daughter's bedroom? Um, not something I do ever. And so let me just clarify that. So she walked in. Well, Karis had gotten a new, um, I think it was either a new phone or a new iPad. And Karis had looked up our live stream. And even though she had been to church the previous week, she was watching our live stream again and was listening to the message again. I don't know how old Karis is. Do you guys know how old Karis is? How old? Eight? 
Karis is eight years old. She watches our live stream for fun. I might need to talk to her about other activities, but anyway, it's important. So we're grateful for everybody on live stream as well. There's great joy in the city because Jesus is changing lives. Our goal, our goal, yes, we plan to build a new facility. Yes, we plan to build an entire new campus over the next probably 20 years total. I don't know how long it'll take us and and we're in and we're gonna see this get done. Yes, these things are going to happen, but our our goal, if you were to summarize it, it's what Philip accomplished in Samaria. That there would be great joy in this city because Jesus is lifted up and changes lives. I love the way Redeemer Church, we're good friends with Redeemer Church. We partner with them all the time. Redeemer Church, their vision statement is make much of Jesus because Jesus is the one who changes. And that's what Philip does. He went and there was joy in going. There's a time to go. So Philip's in Samaria. Things are going great. If you were in ministry, if Philip was vocational in ministry, you would say, just stay put. It doesn't get much better than what's happening in Samaria. But that's not what happens. So in verse 25, we pick it up, the story again, and he's testifying, and he's talking about the word of the Lord, and he's traveling, and he's boldly preaching the things that are taking place, and he's moving back towards Jerusalem, and he's talking about the gospel, which is just the message of hope that's found in Jesus. He's inviting people into that life-changing relationship when an angel shows up and says to Philip um, in verse 26, get up, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's literally in the middle of nowhere. Your Bible should have in parentheses, this is the desert road. It's because this is the road nobody wants to go on. But I love verse 27, the first part. So he got up and went. There's a time to go. We make that decision every day and every moment of our life. We make the decision to get up and go to work. We make the decision to get up and go to school. We make the decision to get up and go to the store. We make decisions all the time about when we're going to go. And as a congregation, we made a decision over 20 years ago that it was time to go. We saw that play out over those two decades and we've come to that moment and we get to experience that moment. We have inherited this. It's a part of our legacy. It's a part of our future and it's time to go. What I love about Philip is there's no indication that Philip in any way questioned or doubted. It looks like it appears to everything we know in the passage of scripture. The verse 27, the first section there, he just got up. And went. If it's time to go, and God's telling you it's time to go, it's time to go. And that doesn't negate anything. It, it doesn't negate the great things that happened in Samaria. It doesn't negate the great things that had taken place in Jerusalem. It didn't negate what he did as a deacon, helping the widows in Jerusalem. It doesn't negate anything about the past or the legacy, but it says everything about the flexibility and the willingness of a servant of Christ to do whatever Jesus wants us to do now and in the future. And so is it easy? I don't, I don't think it's easy. I've said that repeatedly. In fact, a number of you have expressed concern um, because I keep saying how hard it is and, and how hard it is actually to move and, and, and to leave behind things that are familiar for something that's unknown. And when they're not all, that's true. But if, if, but if it's God calling you, 
then you really can't lose. You can't go wrong. Even if I don't know what's in store ahead, if I know God is the one who's orchestrating, who's, who's guiding, who's conducting that process, then it's a process of trust. And the joy carries with us. In this case, he needed to go. And he needed to go because there's one individual God wants to touch. It's an amazing section in verses 27 through 31. I'm not going to read all of it again. But the Ethiopian man in verse 27, the last part of verse 27, who is a eunuch, as I mentioned earlier, a high official of Candace. We don't know if that's a specific name historically or if it's a title like Pharaoh or, or king, if it's a title. The queen of the Ethiopians, he was in charge of her entire treasury. So he is a man of power, of strength, of authority, of wealth. He had come to worship in Jerusalem even though he would never, ever be allowed in the temple. He believed in Christ. He believed in the Messiah. He believed in the Hebrew God. And he's trying to sort out all the events that he's heard about. And he's reading from the Bible. He's reading from manuscripts, from scrolls that he's gotten, which are extremely expensive in the first century AD. So he's obviously a man of wealth. Um, He's a man of affluence. He's reading that and he's attempting to understand it. When the Spirit tells Philip, look, go to that chariot. We've had that feeling. The problem is a lot of times we're hesitant to respond to that feeling. Every one of us has had it. You've had a waiter and he's talking to you at the table and something inside says he's hurting or he's struggling or he wants to know something. But we've been conditioned by culture to not want to discuss such personal issues as religion and faith, which that's perfectly fine for Christians because let me tell you what, no Christian anywhere should ever talk about religion. Religion is death. Faith in Jesus is life and it has nothing to do with religion. So you don't have to worry about talking about religion. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about the living God who changes lives. We're inviting people into a life-changing relationship. We're not inviting them into an organization, an institution. We're inviting them into a life-changing relationship with the living and active God. The Spirit moves him and says, go and join that chariot. Join up with those people. Philip walks up and he hears the man reading from the prophet Isaiah from chapter 53, which is the passages about the suffering servant. He's like right there. He almost understands. And so Philip joins him and asks him, and it's a simple, honest question. Do you understand what you're reading? His answer is honest. How can I? Unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The amazing thing about the need to go is when we initiate the conversation, most of the time it's reciprocated. They want to hear it. There are times, there are occasions, so I'm not going to lie to you, that maybe they don't. And it's in those moments even Jesus told us, look, if it's rejected, just move on because there's somebody else who's willing to listen and keep moving. But there was a need. This man is going through all that he possibly can to understand, to believe, and have a relationship with God. And he's right there at the precipice. And unless somebody who already has that relationship talks to him, he's potentially not going to understand. And so Philip 
simply begins to share the message. They look at the passage of scripture together. He's reading it out loud in verses 32 through 33. And then the man looks at him and says, is this the prophet, the man the prophet's talking about, this suffering servant? Is that the prophet or is it someone else? And then look at verse 35, underline verse 35. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus. Just a matter of months ago. I mean, can you, can you imagine it for just a minute? Philip's going, this was prophesied nearly 800 years ago, but just a few months ago, that suffering servant was here. And he taught, and we listened, and we followed, and we believed. But he died, he was executed, he was crucified. And we thought it was all over with. And, but yet, right after the Sabbath, after he had died that Friday night, that first, that Sunday morning, He was resurrected. He said he would be risen. He said he would be alive. But we didn't really understand, didn't believe. But now we know, and he is. And and, and hundreds of people saw him. This is a known fact. And since then, thousands of people every week have believed in him, and their lives are being changed. Demons are finding places they can't exist anymore physical disabilities are being removed and healed. Physical infirmities are being removed and healed. People's hearts are being changed. Husbands and wives are loving one another. Husbands and fathers are doing just what the prophet said that they would do. They're returning to the hearts of their children and raising their families in godliness and love. Philip shares with him the good news. Of Jesus. There's a need, and we have the message. And we have that opportunity. And this is why we go. This is why we go. This is why we relocate this campus. This is why we get up and go to work tomorrow. This is why we get up and go to school tomorrow. It's because the need is all around us, and people want to hear about Jesus. And when they meet Jesus, their lives are changed. And when their lives are changed, there's great joy in this city. There's great joy in this region. There's a part of me that deeply wants to, just out of my love and out of my affection, to look at everyone and say, hey, you know what? Let's just, let's just, let's just pray. Let's seek God. Let's sacrifice as much as we possibly can. Let's get this moment behind us. Let's get established on the new campus. Let's, let's just, let's go and we'll be done. But we're not because we're never done. Philip steps down because this new believer in Jesus is so excited. He wants to be baptized right there. And so they find a pond or a lake or shallow pool of water out there in the middle of the desert. And, and he's going, why can't I be baptized? Philip's going, there's no reason you can't be baptized. Let's go. And they go down into the water and they baptize. And then another miracle takes place. It literally says in verse 39, when they came up out of the water, um, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. There was a time to go again. 
There'll be a time to go again. Your generation will need to do things we didn't do to bring joy into people's lives and hearts by sharing the good news of Jesus, just like Philip did. We keep going. As best as I can tell, and I've said this before, the primary reason all of us are still here is to invite somebody into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I love our worship. I look forward to it every week. Pastor Josh knows that. I talk about it regularly. I love teaching you from the scripture and helping us understand. I love you helping me and having conversations with me and understanding scripture. I love being with my family. I love doing activities every day. I love the fact that my family's here. They're all ministering right at the moment. Got a daughter on cameras, got a son up in the sound booth, got a daughter-in-law worshiping someplace, got my wife's right here supporting and loving and praying for every single one of you. I, I love everything that's going on in my life. But I spend every day looking forward to heaven. If I wanted to worship, heaven's a better place to worship. If I wanted to be completely free of every regret and every burden, heaven's the place to do that. If I wanted to wake up in the morning without any of the pains and creaks and knocks and noises that my body makes, heaven's the place to do that. If I don't want to dread my next doctor's appointment because I never know what the next diagnosis is going to be and what the next thing I'm going to have to deal with is, heaven's the best place to be. If I don't have to worry about inflation, and decisions that are made that impact me and impact my friends and make life hard, heaven's, literally I can go through every list of every experience and heaven's better with one exception. This is the time, this is the moment for me to invite somebody into a life-changing relationship with Jesus because that's the one thing I can't do in heaven. So I'm here, and I believe you're here for this time to go. And there will be more times to go. We have the message. We have the hope. We have the strength of God working through us. We have the personal change that we've experienced because we've met Jesus, and life's never the same. I can look forward to heaven because I met Jesus. And I'm going to run into somebody today actually already have had a couple phone calls this morning where I had the opportunity again to say to somebody, Jesus can take care of this pain. Jesus can take care of this grief. Jesus can take care of this loss because Jesus is the life changer. He changed mine and he's waiting. And the only thing he's waiting for is for you to say, come on, Jesus, change me. He's a gentleman And he's patiently waiting for you to say yes.